Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That is Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Well, we had an amazing 10th anniversary celebration for Justice for Orphans last week. So many wonderful people celebrated with us and showed their support. We are so grateful for each one of them and the amazing local businesses who helped to underwrite the event. And I just want to thank them. Uh, A big shout out to Flack Industries, Collins & Son, Crossroads Ford, New Scotland Paving, Chris Chris and Brignola Law Firm, the Bank of Green County. Thank you to these local businesses for supporting JFO and underwriting our banquet expenses. Now, we are wrapping up National Adoption Month today with my guest, adoptive mom, Debbie Raymond. Debbie is a proud mom of her 24-year-old daughter, Lydia, who's a 2020 college graduate, and also her 20-year-old son, Wyatt, who is on the fetal alcohol spectrum, and he is a 2020 uh, high school graduate, as well as a hip-hop dancer, dog trainer, dog handler in training. Her son, Wyatt, loves to help Debbie spread FASD awareness. Now, my friend Debbie is a writer and educator and has worked with children for over 35 years. Her passion lies with being an FASD educator and advocate. She serves as a coach on various FASD platforms here in the United States and in Canada, and she's a member of NOFAS, the National Organization for FAS in Washington State, their advisory board. Deb and I met while we were both participating in a virtual facets training for parents and professionals, and we are both in the process of completing the year-long facets facilitator training. So please welcome my friend, Debbie Raymond. Hey, Deb. Hey, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. I've been following you and Wyatt on social media. I've enjoyed getting to know you through the facets training that we're both in. uh, And I'm just thrilled that our listeners are going to get to hear your story. So let's start at the beginning of your story. You um, adopted your two children, Lydia and Wyatt. How did that journey begin? Well, (laughs) I... um... A couple years after I was married, um, I experienced several miscarriages and, um, and then we also looked into adoption and they were domestic adoptions, either, you know, through fostering or something like that. And I knew for me personally, I probably wouldn't be a good foster mom because, um, I I wouldn't want to give those children up. So that really wasn't a good fit for me. 
um, my husband, um, former husband, he's now passed away, um, had a blood disorder that took several years to figure out. Um, and that could have been passed on genetically. So adoption was really the only fit. And it wasn't a decision we just came about and decided to do uh, where we were both, you know, my husband's past now, uh, people of faith. And, uh, you know, this was something we prayed about for years and years and years and, and, you know, really searched our souls and what we felt God was, you know, asking us to do. And, and we, we really felt that, you know, he wanted us to open our homes, you know, to children um, internationally, you know, the route that we went because there are children out there, um, as we both know, that need families and love and a forever home. And, um, you know, we were honored to to do that and, and adopt our two children. Oh, I love that. Um, so, yeah, your journey to adoption, um, you know, came with some some loss and, and um, some struggle, but you knew in your heart that that was really what God was calling you to, to adopt. What what led you to choose China to adopt from? Um, I have a brother in Seattle, and um, he was connected with a couple who had just adopted in China after we had tried to adopt domestically, um, and our hearts were ripped out. We had two domestic adoptions. where we went through the whole pregnancy with the mom and then at the end found out that there were drugs and alcohol involved and we'd been lied to about a lot of things and our attorney at that time you know told us we really needed to give those up and so my brother john told us about matt and julene who had do- adopted from china and then i am friends um with um a person in tacoma who has faith in international adoptions and he and his wife um had adopted <clears throat> from china um, in another life, I was a paralegal, so I had legal friends and connections. So, um, you know, they told us there were no drugs and alcohol issues in China. And for me, that was a big deal. And it's kind of funny how I ended up with a child with fetal alcohol because my birth father was alcoholic. Um, my um, husband had had issues with alcoholism and and I didn't really know to the extent at this time, but I just knew it wasn't an area that I felt I was equipped to deal with. Um, Lord, no, the Lord obviously had other plans for me. Um, and so that's what we did. And it, it, it was like, uh, the little, it was clearly what God had planned for us because everything just fell into place after, you know, a dozen years of, you know, miscarriage, failed adoptions and, you know, us hoping to be parents. Cause I was 39 before um, I, we adopted our daughter. So. Uh, so you brought home Lydia mm-hmm. from China. What was that? I assume it was infant adoption. Um, what was that adjustment like? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, first she had her days and nights mixed up because of the time difference. And Lydia was allergic to the formula that we had gotten for her in the U.S. And um, so we tried a bunch mm-hmm. of different ones and actually ended up going down back down to Seattle. And we were you know, a good hour out of Seattle when we lived on the west side of the state of Washington um, and to the international district there and found a formula that um, they thought closely matched the ingredients of the formula she'd been given in China. And um, and then we didn't have any issues with feeding because she'd been spitting up like nonstop. She we ended up, you know, throwing a, a chair over the deck of our house and burning it because it had been vomited on so many times. <laughs> we could not get the smell out of the house. But um she um the the sleeping issue was a hard one for her 
And this was before I really knew about trauma or any of those issues. You know, she'd been in an orphanage with 20 other babies or more surrounding her and, um, you know, got a lot of attention from one of the nannies there that fed her special and stuff because she was a smart little baby and made this noise with her thumb and she'd stick it in her mouth. So she got extra attention. Um, So the adjustment was a little bit hard, but she was very happy. Uh, very perky and bright and intelligent, um, you know, um, and we just adored her. I mean, I remember just crying like a baby the first time I held her. She didn't cry at all. She put her arms around me and never cried. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. she knew that I was supposed to be her mom. And um, it was just a really surreal experience for me because, uh, you know, I even at that point, I was like going, God, is this ever going to happen? And when she put her arms around me, I was like, you know, thank you. Thank you. And mm. <laughs> it was Aww. just um, indescribable in, in words to give it justice. Really. <laughs> well, and she she adjusted well and um, no, no major challenges there. And then actually in 2020, and the craziness of 2020, she graduated from college. How's she doing now? Give us a Lydia update. Oh, gosh, she's doing wonderfully. Yeah, she graduated um, f- with honors from Seattle Pacific University. It's a small Christian college in Seattle. She had a president's scholarship there and um, worked at the university the whole time, was active in her church community and stuff. And she still is. She lives not far from that university now. She works full time for Amazon. Um, you know, it took her about eight 10 months to get a full-time job um, and she was just blue badged at Amazon. She was a contract employee originally. And um, that's a feat that nobody really, um, ha- it doesn't happen very often. People that are um, recruiting coordinators that are contract employees don't become full-time Amazon employees. So, you know, I, I, I really praise the Lord and my, my kid for, you know, doing what she has, making a name for herself, taking pro- extra projects standing up for herself actually and asking for a raise while she was bringing in other staff that were making more money than her. Um, and she got a raise, you know, so she's, I've always called her, you know, uh, uh, my little mighty warrior because she's about five feet tall and, you know, 90 pounds on a good day. Um, and she's, you know, God just blessed her so much with, with strength and, and intelligence. And I just adore her. So. Aww. Oh, that is so sweet to hear. And um, it's so good to hear her success, you know, because as you know, uh, there's no guarantee. Well, there's no guarantees with whether you have biological children or adopted children. But we also know, and like you mentioned, with trauma that often exists um, and prenatal exposure to alcohol and drugs, there's which is very common. Um, it you just it can be hard. So when we hear a success story, it's such an encouragement to the rest of us who are, you know, slogging through some days. Um, but I know that that's, that's a reality for you as well. So you adopted again. How long after Lydia came home did you pursue your next adoption? Um, it was about two years. Lydia, as I said, was very advanced. She could speak fluent sentences at a year and a half. And we had moved from Western Washington to Eastern Washington, a little town called Zilla, Um, After my great aunt died, um, I inherited some money from her and um, that funded us being able to have do a second adoption and um, and Lydia wanted a baby brother really bad. I mean, I don't know that she really understood what that meant, 
but she wanted a baby brother. And, you know, there were, I worked in the nursery at church and um, did that all the time. My kids were little. And so there, she was always surrounded by babies and um, other kids and she uh, was with me. So um, it was just a natural progression. And, um, you know, we prayed about it and we really felt that, you know, we, we had room in our hearts for another baby, even though we were, you know, over 40 at that point. Um, So that's what we decided to do. (laughs) Wow. So um, that's when you adopted Wyatt. He also is, uh, was born in China, correct? No, he's from South Korea. Oh, South Korea. Okay. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Wow. So what, what led you to switch from China to South Korea? We, well, we were asked to adopt Wyatt. Um, Another adoption agency, it's called WACAP and it stands for Washington something. I don't know what the acronym means now. (laughs) I'm sorry. But um, they actually called us in December about the time that he was born, um, you know, 21 years ago now almost and asked, you know, and I had um, done some education there with them and stuff. And I don't remember how I'm connected now. And I, I'm not going to try to remember in the middle of your podcast, but um, they called and asked if we would consider taking a boy. They said that, you know, most people don't realize there are boys available from Asian countries too. Um, you know, this mom um, really wants a, a child that, you know, is going to a family that already has a sibling and da, 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 da. So uh, we prayed about it and, you know, really felt that we wanted, you know, to get this child and, um, yeah, he's from South Korea, and um, and it was just the perfect fit for you know our family at the time. So, so how old was Wyatt when he came home? He was only uh, he was a little younger than Lydia. He was born in December, and we got him the end of April the following year. So he was only not quite five months old. All right. So he came home, and how was that adjustment? Um, his adjustment was good. Um, I was really busy then. I was managing my great aunt's estate, the woman I mentioned that had passed and traveling back and forth to Snohomish, which is like, um, 200 miles away. Um, working from home, I used to be a paralegal. So I was doing some legal forms and work from home to supplement, you know, our income, our household income. Um, and Lydia, um, I have a funny story about this, actually. On the way home from Seattle, we got Wyatt at, at SeaTac Airport. He was escorted from South Korea. Um, you know, we did not have to go there. And um, about, you know, halfway home, we stopped at the rest stop. And Lydia said to me, she said, Mom, can we go back to the airport and ha- and get a new brother? This one's crying. And <laughs> and I actually share that every year in November with a picture of, of Wyatt and myself. Um, and I said, honey, it doesn't work that way. I said, you cried on the way home too. You know, this is, you know, he's your brother and he'll, it'll be fine. And, you know, I think she got a bottle and put it in his mouth or something, and, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, but why it was, um, he was a very happy baby. He smiled all the time. Um, you know, like I said, Lydia doted on him like he was her baby. And, you know, she would always say to me, Mom, I can speak Wyatt. I know what he needs. So, you know, I did not notice any delays and things like that, you know, which I probably would have had he been my first child. Um, you know. Yeah, it's common for the more the more because I, I have a grandson who's um, he just turned two. 
and he's got three older siblings. So he, I mean, he's speaking well now, but it took a long time for him. He didn't need to speak. Everybody knew what he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing with Wyatt. I didn't really think twice about the fact that he wasn't speaking because, you know, Lydia spoke for him and his needs were being met at the time. And he right. was a good right. sleeper. Unlike a lot of individuals with FASD, you know, he slept wonderfully, always has been my champion sleeper. He was happy. Um, there were sensory issues and things going on that I didn't learn about until, you know, after the fact. Um, he um, he fell at the playground when he was about two and a lot of his teeth um, ended up being rotten and, fall, you know, being broken off. And that was where we really started learning that he had some you know, health issues going on and stuff. And he had his first major dental surgery before he was two and they scraped his whole mm-hmm. gum line down and, um, you know, capped some of his teeth to save him so that, you know, they would still be there so that his permanent teeth would come in. And, you know, and this was before I knew about fetal alcohol, we had no records of, you know, from, um, the adoption or anything that there was anything, um, you know, alcohol exposure. And I didn't really know much about it at that time. So, um, you know, we just knew that there was, he was uh, drooling all the time. And I know now that that can be one of the comorbidities with fetal alcohol is, you know, dental issues and stuff. So, Mm. yeah, definitely. So aside from the dental issues, were there any other symptoms? At what point were, did you begin to suspect or start, you know, that mama, mama bear research, right? To figure out what's going on here. What were, what were the other symptoms you were seeing? Um, well, in, in kindergarten, um, well, he did preschool and I really didn't notice anything there. And then in kindergarten, um, his reading, his reading skills were really, um, behind the other students in his class. And I was volunteering in his class And some of the other kids were teasing him too. And Lydia was actually his big protector at school. So I really started noticing, you know, his delay in reading and then in speech too. Um, And at that time, um, that was when some things, you know, some not great things were going on in my marriage. Um, So there was probably a lot of things that I did miss. um, And we ended up, um, you know, my marriage ended up um, ending similarly about the same time and we moved to Prosser um and when when I enrolled him in those schools was you know when teachers did some evaluations with him and stuff based on some of the concerns I had it from him for him and um we did an IEP and that kind of thing and I didn't know at that time, Sandra, that it was fetal alcohol or even have a clue that that's what it was. And it wasn't until, you know, probably later on in grade school, um, you know, every time we would take him to the doctor and, you know, I'd start expressing some of my concerns about his educational delays and noticing, you know, he, he uh, when he walked, he was very clumsy and, um, you know, he um, would fall down more than other kids. Um, and so they sent us to Children's Hospital in Seattle, our regular pediatrician, to have a battery of tests to see if they could figure out what was going on. And he has an arachnoid cyst in his brain um, that he was born with. They tell us it's inoperable, it's water-filled, so, but it does put some pressure on his brain in addition you know, to the organic brain damage from fetal alcohol. And they alluded to maybe possible fetal alcohol, but without any documentation in his adoption records, they didn't want to do anything else. 
So they sent us back home to Seattle, uh, to the you know east side, and we saw a doctor at Children's Village in Yakima every year. But even though my son has facial features, they were never willing to give us a diagnosis. So that was when I started you know, educating myself because I knew it was more than 80. They gave him an ADHD diagnosis mm-hmm. and it really didn't fit, you know. Um, so that was when I started educating myself. Yeah, that that ADHD diagnosis is often, you know, one of the many other diagnoses that our kids get, that whole alphabet soup. But really, it's that FASD is the overarching spectrum that's going on there, right? Exactly. So, and why it had yeah. PTSD and a lot of things just, you know, my marriage ended then and we had to move and all of that. So, um, yeah, he has um, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, um, you know, he has ADHD and all of those things are underneath the umbrella of fetal alcohol. Um, right. So when did you or how did you or did you ever get a diagnosis for FASD? We did. I, we didn't get it until a little over a year ago. And my son is 20, almost 21. Even wow. though he has facial features, that's how long it took. So I had to be a mama bear pain in the butt pe- to a lot of people for a lot of years um, to try to get that diagnosis. You know, I started with educating myself. I read Diane Malbin's book, Trying Rif- Differently Rather Than Harder. Um, you know, I kept... Um, I, I went to work in my son, in my children's school as a paraeducator and started educating them as I started educating myself and then eventually went back to college and became a substitute teacher. Um, and so I just kept educating year after year after year. Um, and um, Wyatt got his diagnosis at the, the UW FAS Center, but um, diagnostic clinic. But like I said, that did take all of that many years. Wow. To get it. So he was 19 yeah, he when was he was 19. diagnosed. Wow. So during and that so he, time, a lot of people, you know, were really didn't like me telling them that my kid had <laughs> FASD. Well, he doesn't have a diagnosis. And I said, I understand that it's not on paper, but I'm telling you, this is what he has. And I'm asking you to please make these accommodations for him because this is what mm-hmm. his needs are. Um, because like a lot of us, you were you were that fierce advocate. You were educating yourself, which is what so many of us. I mean, you and I met in, uh, I think during the, well, I think we met on in the social media, but we were connected because of other folks like I think Natalie Vecchione and others um, right. in this space, all of us moms getting ourselves educated so that we can not only support our kids, but then also educate others. Um, because everyone in this, you know, everyone needs to be FASD informed, really, because everybody connecting with our kids for sure. So, and you're still doing that because you're still taking, we're still taking some classes together. Um, so you, you, you definitely became an advocate. Um, so but, why it's, oh, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. the fact of the matter is, like you just said, everyone in the world needs to be FASD informed and, and neurodiverse aware because one in 20 people has fetal alcohol in the US, it's 5% of the population. And I think that's probably a conservative effort uh, estimate. When I look back at my family, I have two nephews who have fetal alcohol. Um, I have cousins now that I know that was the symptoms that were you know, exhibited as behaviors growing up. I mean, if you just, if all of us sat down and looked at people that, you know, maybe had issues with time management or had behaviors that they were told they were bad kids or this or that or struggled with things or you know regulation or sensory issues night lights and noise and sounds 
you know, were hard for them or tags on clothes and things. Um, you know, a lot of those issues, a lot of those individuals, I'm sure probably were prenatally alcohol exposed. And, yeah. you know, the more that we all know as a society about that, we can come along those people, side those people and, you know, support them so that they can all share their strengths and, and talents. And, you know, we all do better. So, yeah, that's right. And when we, when we know better, we can do better. And I know you mentioned one in 20 individuals in the United States. And then so much of our audience here listening to this podcast are foster and adoptive parents. And in that aspect of the population, it's like 86% of the children in child welfare have been prenatally exposed. Most are either not diagnosed, like you had that hard time getting that diagnosis for your son all of those years, um, or they're misdiagnosed with all these other things, which may be part of the picture, but if you put all the pieces together, it's FASD. Um, my, My boys, my two youngest boys got the diagnosis, but they have the facial features. Um, and we had some some documentation because they were they were adopted internationally from Ukraine. So in the court documents, it did say that the birth parents were alcoholics. So we had enough and and were able to connect with a developmental pediatrician in our area who did that diagnosis when uh, one of them was uh, five, almost six, and then the other was eight when they got their diagnosis. And um, but still, here I am. They're they're sixteen and eighteen, and so that was ten years ago. And I'm still learning, and I think I've learned more about FASD in the past two years than I did in all of the ten years that we were really understanding this is what we're dealing with, uh, because I went after it. Nobody was delivering that training or that information to me. I had to really start digging it out and going after it. Uh, And then, like you, teaching and telling everybody that I know, because we all need to be FASD uh, informed for sure. So um, Wyatt did graduate high school in 2020 as well. He's now 20 years old. Tell us how he's doing now. He's doing great. you know, it's a transition just like anything else. Uh, but when he graduated high school, it was, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic. It was a really hard time. I was his resource room math teacher, um, I'm sorry, reading teacher. I started in math and then went to reading um, his senior year. So I also lost my livelihood and had to, you know, figure out what I was going to do for a living. Um, you know, it was COVID, so there weren't a lot of subbing opportunities and I needed to support Wyatt and, and build on his strengths. We did try community college for one quarter, but they really just didn't get, you know, the accommodations and supports he needed. They expected him, you know, they, they looked at his age, not his stage and, mm-hmm. you know, just said, well, he should be able to do this. And I kept trying to, you know, educate them and, and the SPED director and she was autistic but she just really didn't get fetal alcohol um, and that his stage was clearly this. And as his guardian, you know, I needed to help him with these things and the paperwork that was involved. So we went a different route. And um, a couple of years ago where we used to live, um, he just showed great skill and patience and, and um, abilities with dogs. And, um, my wonder, our wonderful friend Michaela started training Wyatt with her very reactive German Shepherd dog, um, who's kind of Wyatt's sidekick. And I have wonderful pictures of him with that dog. 
and and that's what he's doing now um he we work as a team you know as i said i'm his guardian his caregiver his mom but and his biggest you know advocate and cheerleader um because he's a wonderful young man and um you know god gave him a strength and you know art artistic ability he's a photographer he was a wonderful athlete in school um one of his comorbidities is he has um extra bones in both feet, which he lives in chronic pain because of that. But he's a hip hop dancer despite that. And he, he believes it's, you know, his role, um, in addition to all the other gifts that he has to put that out there, um, and show people, you know, dance for people and, and, and do tutorials on dance. And, um, he's also doing them on Taekwondo now, um, because he, he wants other individuals, especially with disabilities to know that they have a purpose and a place in the world and, and not to be afraid to step out of their comfort zone, you know, um, that other people like him, you know, care about them and want them to have a, a good life and, and that they, um, you know, don't be afraid to share those strengths and gifts with everybody because, you know, we all matter. So, yeah, I love that. And in individuals with an FASD, they all have strengths and you shared some of why it's the the the, the creativity the um the dancing and the um the dog training which not everybody has that because mm-hmm. we 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 have a new puppy uh she's she's five months old and she's the best puppy I think we've ever had in our in our life of having puppies and animals, um, but and Slava really was drawn and and and, and wanted and, and we believed he needed you know really a, a, a dog for a, an emotional support dog and but she is still a puppy and he gets super stressed out with her puppiness you know so um, she wasn't a big barky dog but our other we have a a a, a very elderly geriatric border collie um and so our our puppy learned to bark because of the other dog but when the the puppy barks i can literally see slava like his he takes his hands to his head you know like he's holding it like he's got a headache and he just can't handle the barking and it's not incessant barking it's just normal you know the mailman is here or they hear somebody pull in the the, our driveway or whatever um and then of course she's um being house trained and she's actually an excellent student of that um and rarely do we have a problem with her but if but if she does have an accident that overwhelms him like he just he he's just very easily stressed out Mm -hmm. um so i think looking back probably it would have been better for him to if we had gotten a dog that was already trained and ready right. to go to be his emotional support dog but we didn't know going in that that would really you know be difficult for him in the puppy stage but um she's a wonderful puppy and i know she'll grow into that role more and more um, but he's super stressed out very easily but i love watching wyatt because wyatt does youtube videos and and um, instagram and he's on there and he's he's demonstrating different techniques and training uh, dogs and and handling dogs. And I just love, I love his videos. So I know we're going to let our listeners know how we can check out. Actually, let let us know that, Um, Uh, Deb. Yeah, how do we find Wyatt? (laughs) Okay, his are, well, we co-manage his page for dogs on Instagram, and it's called Possibilities with the P-A-W for Paws. P-A-W-S-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-I-E-S dot with F-A-S-D. And I share, uh, we share dog videos. Um, 
you know, tips on dogs, why dogs bark, you know, you know, just different graphics from different sites. Um, um, he works with um, a dog um, breeder two times a week. She does, um, I'm a writer as well. Um, it's one of the things I went to doing. I've always been a writer after uh, why I got out of school. Um, and I interviewed her because she donated a dog to um, one of the elementary schools in the town that where I cover the paper. And I asked her when I interviewed her if I could bring my son because we'd moved here and I was looking for new dog opportunities for Wyatt. And the next week he started working with her with their dogs and she was open, you know, to supporting and accommodating Wyatt and having her teach me about his fetal alcohol. So, um, so that's our possibilities page. And then his artistic page is curly, C-U-R-L-Y underscore D-A underscore artist. And that's on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and we'll put links to both of those so that all of those so that our listeners can check Wyatt out and, and learn from him because Slava and I have been watching some of his um, his videos on plausibility. So um, definitely worth checking out. He's a, a lovely young man. Um, can I share a that, story about the yes. first time? Uh, I didn't yes. know when he was when he started dancing, I didn't know what he was really doing and stuff. And it really kind of annoyed me at first because he wasn't sharing it with me. And my daughter, you know, this was when Lydia, so however many years ago now, probably four years ago or more. Um, and so he had a fairly large audience, you know, unbeknownst to me, I, Lydia was following him on Instagram to make sure he was safe and stuff because we have safety protocols in place for social media that our counselor has helped with and we go over them. And um, anyway, so um, he was asked to dance at an assembly at school and I was teaching at the, you know, I, I taught primarily at his high school. And so, um, you know, all the other teachers like took me down there because I'd never seen him dance. And I had tears streaming down my face the whole time because he was cheered onto the dance floor and just everybody was, you know, why, why, oh. why at the whole time, you know, he's danced at prom and assemblies, the senior classes asked him to dance. Um, you know, a lot of different things like that. And and he just, it, it's like, I, you know, I, I know that the Lord is just with him when he does that, you know, exuding that talent from him and taking away his pain when his feet and joints and, and he just shines, you know. Oh, I love that. I love that. And he's experiencing success and feeling, you know, that feeling of accomplishing something and being able to do something and getting cheered on for it. So I love that. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, but you've navigated a difficult road um, along the way, like you mentioned, becoming a single parent. I know this is a challenging journey for two parents together. Um, I can't imagine being, you know, doing it as as a single parent. But Deb, how have you been able to stay the course as a single parent, especially parenting a young adult now with FASD? Uh, it's not easy, Sandra, and I'm not going to lie about it. Um, but, you know, I am a person of faith. Um, and every day, you know, I ground myself in the Lord. I pray. Um, I meditate. Um, you know, one of the first things I had to do, you know, when my marriage ended 13 years ago um, was to find a good counselor and to get myself healthy. You know, because I realized there were a lot of things I was doing as a parent that were wrong and from my own dysfunctional childhood and, and then a bad marriage. Um, and so finding a good mental health doc practitioner and a counselor were key for me. Um, 
you know, those just really helped put the pieces in place and let me know. Um, and they are both Christian women too. So, um, that I wasn't alone, you know, that the things that I was doing, you, you know, were incredible, you know, and, and at first I was really just putting out fires, you know, for a while. And, and then I had to learn, and, and this is part of, um, you know, learning FASD awareness and stuff. You really have to make a paradigm shift in how you think about life and, yes. and not just parenting, but life in general, um, expectations are premeditated resentment, you know, in our society, mm. and especially in reference to our kids and how we parent them. So, um, you know, I, I learned to take care of myself. I learned to love myself, um, in a way that I had not before, because I couldn't, you know, pass that on to my kids and be a good mom, especially to Wyatt without making those changes for myself. Um, I, I, I eliminated some people from my life who were very toxic, including, um, I'm not going to name them, but family members who, um, you know, just didn't understand my life and didn't want to support it, you know, so I set very strict boundaries there. Um, I, you know, as we talked about before, I educated myself, you know, and, and continue to do that. Um, you know, I continue to build a supportive team around me. And that's kind of constant because, you know, people's lives change and, and situations change and, you know, why it's a little older now. And so like the community we had at school is gone for him. And so that's why we built, you know, the dog community here. And uh, we found a new church family where we moved to and, you know, educating them. They allowed me to give a, a, a presentation on fetal alcohol um, and the youth director there and all of that. So, um, you know, I, I take care of me. And um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's vital. Everything that you said is absolutely vital for for you and for each one of us on this journey to to stay the course, to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. Uh, I know you and I were, were chatting the other day because I said, "Gosh, I feel like, you know, I, I'm I'm 54, and most women my age are empty nesters, mm-hmm. right? And you know, here um, you know, I've got." We have two teenagers at home still. One I'm homeschooling. They both have FASD. So every day you just never know what's gonna what's gonna happen. I have an elderly dad I'm taking care of. I'm going through perimenopause. Sorry for any men who may be listening, any dads, but it's I think most of us are our moms listening, but um just all of these things together. Um I have grandchildren that I would really love to be able to spend even more time with and dote on, but um, you know it's it's super hard just navigating. You know, our youngest Slava, who's sixteen, and we're homeschooling. Um, I the first half of the day, I can't even take a phone call or answer a text message because he disappears and I won't get him back as a student. He'll I, I we can't get anything done if I if I look away even once um, because he doesn't work independently. He needs me by his side and we can get through his school in the morning if we're focused um, and he does a great job. But that forces me to then put all of everything that I do here with the podcast and Justice for Orphans you know, start around 1130 in the in the uh, late late morning during the week that's when I switch gears and focus on that um, but it's it's hard because I can't even run out to a meeting unless I have coverage because we don't we can't leave him home alone even though he's 16 right so it's it's definitely a completely different life and and we have to take care of ourselves in order to be healthy um, you know like you said our mental health our spiritual health our physical health 
we have to pay attention to ourselves if we're going to be able to continue and, and, and be all our kids need us to be. Um, so I love everything that you shared. What, what about, what do you do for self-care? Do you do anything fun? Um, anything that just really, uh, you know, ministers to you or, or nurtures your soul? How, what do you do for self-care? Um, well, as I mentioned, I, you know, I pray and meditate every day. Um, I'm a big walker. Um, I walk our dog at least twice a day. You know, I go out in nature. I breathe in and out, you know, deeply and just enjoy the beauty of God's creation all around me. Um, Where we lived in the country, we lived next to a vineyard and, you know, it was a beautiful setting. And I just, um, and, you know, so she could be off leash there. Um, I, I love to swim. I don't have access to a pool right now. And I have two titanium hips, which was another health hurdle I had to, overcome and had major surgery in, in amongst single parenting here. Um, and I love to swim, you know, there's something about water that just re, mm. re, refuels you and feeds your soul. And, um, you know, I can do like an aerobic workout in a pool and, you know, doesn't hurt my hips and, and just feel rejuvenated afterwards. Um, I listen to music all day long. I kind of dance around the house when I, um, you know, embarrass Wyatt, but, you know, sometimes he'll <laughs> dance with me. I do that in the car as well. Um, sometimes I binge watch, you know, some kind of shows or something. Um, I write, as I mentioned, and so I journal a lot. Um, you know, I have, we have a very set routine, which everybody with, with FASD needs. Uh, so when Wyatt goes to bed at night, that's kind of my time. I drink a cup of herbal tea um, and I talk to some people within an FSD community and, um, you know, do some other, you know, just relaxing things like that. Sometimes I just, you know, have a day where I, I realize, you know, I need to do nothing and Wyatt has learned to make me that perfect cup of tea. And I just get back in my bed, turn on the fireplace app on my TV in my room and just, you know, do nothing because we really do need to normalize in our country and Mm. in the world, you know, taking care of ourselves and and not overextending and not overdoing. And like you shared, um, you know, I'm 63. So, you know, most people my age are retiring and have grandkids and doing all these things. And, and I'm still a teammate and caregiver, whatever of an individual with fetal alcohol and, you know, will be for the foreseeable future. But um, you know, I, I feel it's, you know, besides taking care of me that I'm taking care of me so that I can not only be there for him, but all the other families out there who hopefully my story and my journey, you know, can help and touch and, um, you know, and lift everybody else up as well. So I have to take care of me first. Yes, words of wisdom, and and you are such an inspiration, and I know my listeners are really going to be riveted by your story and encouraged by it. Um, so along those lines, as a mom of a young man with FASD, and you are an FASD-informed advocate, what would you say to our listeners, many of whom are foster and adoptive moms, uh, parents? Um, give us some advice. What would you tell us? Well, I would say um, that that they should know that they that you are very that you are amazing and capable of the hard work of parenting these neurodiverse children. Um, you know, I, I believe you know in the Lord's plan for all of us. So you've been given those children for a reason, and um, um, educate yourself. You know, build a community, a team around you, and 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 by educating yourself, you're gonna be empowered to educate the doctors, the teachers, the family, you know, your family, 
everybody around you for the sake of your children. Um, if you have not read the book and, you know, this was my Bible for me <laughs> for a neurodiversity was trying differently rather than harder by Diane Malbin. Um, it changed my life when I read that book and I went, you know, it was a huge aha moment for me. Um, listen to Sandra's podcast, FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione's is wonderful. Jeff Noble's FASD Success Show is wonderful. Um, I am a moderator in his group as well and a mentor in his coaching programs. Um, you know, find a community like that. There are a lot of really good FASD groups and people to follow online. You know, um, I, I remember when I first found them, you know, like four years ago or whatever, I was scared to death to reach out and share my story and be vulnerable. We're all human beings. We don't want to be under, you know, vulnerable and sure soft underbellies, but we need to, we need each other. That's why we're here is to lift each other up. Um, reach out to us. I mean, I have moms who, um, in France, in Spain, and in Italy, who, who who reach out to me, and I talk to them for free, even though I try to do this as a, for a living, because I know they need me and they have no resources in their country, you know. So um, there's people like me who, you know, who will respond to you. I might say, you know, I'm really busy today. I, um, you know, don't have time to talk right now, but check out these resources in the meantime and know you're not alone. And and you know, mm -hmm. try to send them something, you know. Um, I do daily affirmations every day for my kids and for myself. And that's really important to do for yourself. Wake up in the morning and look, you know, maybe even have it written on your mirror. You know, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm grateful for this day. I am loved. I'm beautiful. I'm whatever. Um, and, and know that you can tackle whatever's, um, you know, coming your way. Don't take it personally. And that's a huge one for me. And I know we all do that um, because we're humans. Um, you know, these behaviors are brain and um, um, have patience with yourself. And when you are having a struggling moment, you know, just um, Wyatt and I have have cards that our counselor has implemented with us. You know, he has a card that says, I need to talk to you right now. It's in yellow. And then I have a red stop sign that if I'm not able, if I'm working or whatever, or I can't engage with him, you know, because I get overloaded too, I hold that up. So it's really important to create systems within your family too. And, you know, with the guidance of a counselor and OT or whoever um, that you've added to your team to do that with. So that's wonderful, wonderful advice. And it's, it is so important um, to, to reach out to others and know that you're not alone. And I, I think because unless you're parenting a child with um, you know neurodiversity with an FASD, other parents don't get it, and we need to really be connected with you know other families, other parents that are on this same journey, who do get it, and we can support one another. and And I know I felt like when I found the podcast you mentioned, Jeff Noble's podcast, FASD Success, Natalie Vecchione's FASD Hope, mm -hmm. um, and I also love. Uh, Robbie, Robbie Seals, Seals is um, good. yeah, yeah, FASD Family Life. Um, you you're listening, but you feel like you're just sitting down with that person, right. uh, or who who their guest might be, having a cup of tea or coffee, and just you know sharing and learning and hearing from others on the same journey. And I've learned so much in the past two years just from listening to those podcasts. And I listen to all those podcasts every week. Like that's part of my my self care. That's what I was just going to say. I, I didn't yeah. share that as part of my self-care. I do that at night. Like I said, after wife's yeah. gone to bed, 
when I'm having my cup of tea, sometimes I'll just listen to half and the next night do the other half, depending on the length of them. And they, they totally do. They feed my soul and they make me realize I'm not alone, that I'm part of this community and other people are going through the same struggles I am. And it's, it is huge for me to feel, you know, feel that from other people and know that, you know, they're going through the same things. So yeah, yeah, we need each other for sure. So now I we opened the show with Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, Deb, you chose that verse. What does it mean to you? Uh, uh, it reminds me that the Lord is with me and cares me even when I'm in my darkest hour. And, and I've had some pretty dark hours that I shared with you personally. Um, I spend a lot of time, as I've said before, walking in nature. And when I do that, I feel God's presence around me. I also feel mm-hmm. God's presence really strongly when I'm at the ocean. Um, I'm reminded that he's never leaves me. And, and I just need to turn my life over to him and, and not run it myself because I have a tendency to do that. I'm an oldest child. I'm a type A personality. So I'm always, um, you know, wanting to organize and do life myself, but I need to lean into him every day, every second of the day and remind myself that he is the one who's giving me that strength and courage and comfort as well. Um, So Mm, words of wisdom to live by. Deb, thank you so much for all that you're doing for for Wyatt, for the FASD community. Um, I'm looking forward to doing the FACETS facilitator training with you. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show today, sharing your story, your experience, and your wisdom with us. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It was my pleasure, and I'm so happy that you asked me to be on your show. And I, too, look forward to February and the FACETS training starting. And um, more more to share later on hopefully with you and our and your listeners so yes as we learn we'll pass it on right yes definitely thank you Sandra. thank thank you wow what an inspiration deb is for all of us on this journey Um, thank you for listening i hope you were just as inspired as i was um I will include links to facets um, and to Wyatt's social media. So you can be checking that out. As a mom of teens with FASD, I am so inspired by Wyatt. He's an incredible young man um, with an amazing mom uh, advocating for him. Also remember, All of our November episodes are adoption focused. So if you didn't catch all of them, you can go back and listen. We interviewed all adoptive uh, parents on uh, for our episodes in November. And then all of our September episodes were FASD focused. So again, if you haven't caught any of those, you can go back and listen. Coming up in December, I will be doing a weekly Advent series to help us adoptive foster and kinship caregivers survive the holiday season. So be sure to check those out. Those are going to be coming. We're actually going to drop them on Fridays because our typical drop of the new podcast episodes are Mondays. But just the way the calendar goes in December, I wanted to be able to have have you be able to listen to all four Advent episodes right before Christmas. Um, So they'll actually drop on Fridays. Uh, So be be looking for that. You'll be able to find them. Uh, And 
hey, as a mom of eight, five through adoption, one kinship adoption, four siblings adopted internationally, two of our kids diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, I get it. Uh, And I share my family's adoption journey in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It is available wherever you get books. Uh, You can, if you order from Amazon, um, I would uh, ask that you would go in after you read it and leave me a review, whether you get the Kindle version or you order the paperback. Um, Please, please, please leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. There's some amazing reviews on there that I'm so blessed by. Uh, But if you would like a signed copy with a gift bookmark, you can order from my website, sandraflack.com. And there you will learn more about me. You can read my blog. I blog regularly. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a series, an Advent series of blog posts to help us navigate the crazy holiday season with our kids. So um, you'll be able to find that on there. You can contact me for speaking opportunities. I'd love to come to your church or your women's retreat or your adoption fostering conferences, whatever you've got going on that you're looking for a speaker for. Um, I'd love to connect with you on that. Uh, So please check out my website, sandraflack.com. My website is also connected to the Justice for Orphans website. This podcast is a ministry extension of Justice for orphans. You can check out all the amazing stuff we're doing there. Um, You can find all the podcast episodes there as well. Um, We have some great FASD resources on the Justice for Orphans website, uh, as well as um, information about Care Portal and and some of the other things that we're doing. That is at justiceforphansny.com. Org, uh, and be sure to check out my social media. You can find well. First of all, Justice for Orphans has both a Facebook and an Instagram page, so please like and follow uh, Justice for Orphans. And you can find me on uh, Instagram. I am at Sandra Flack underscore JFO, and of course, I'm also on Facebook as Sandra Flack, and I also have a Sandra Flack author page. Check it all out, like and follow, connect with me there. Um, You can learn about what each episode is gonna be about of the podcast, because we always promote that weekly there. So you can find it all. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justiceforphansny.org.